Strangers, Obsessed Fest is right around the corner, and there's only a handful of tickets left. Don't miss your chance to spend a whole weekend with your favorite true crime podcasters. With panels and meet and greets, Q&As, karaoke during the day, and live shows at night like True Crime Obsessed with Patrick and Jillian and Obsessed with Disappeared with Ellen and Joey, as well as Morbid and Scamfluencers. You'll have a chance to meet and mingle with Maggie Freeling, Amber Hunt, Rabia Chowdhury, Payne Lindsay, and so many more. Plus, check out my first ever live episode recording Friday at 2 p.m. It's going to be a great time. I really hope to see all you strangers there. So join me and all the true crime podcasting superstars in Columbus, Ohio, September 30th through October 2nd. Get information and tickets at ObsessedFest.com. See you there. What if you could visit anywhere in the world, maybe even in the entire universe, without leaving the comfort of your own home? Where would you go? Who would you visit? What would you do if you could just trip the light fantastic over to whatever destination came into your head? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who, as a person who both enjoys sleeping and traveling, can really see the value of going places while staying in bed. This week, we're going to take a trip into a realm I have a very loose grasp of. So this should be fun. Out-of-body experiences or astral projection may seem like the stuff of Marvel Comics, but there is a large cohort of people out there who believe in it and claim to practice it. These believers say they have either intentionally or unintentionally separated themselves from their physical bodies and explored a realm that apparently has no bounds or limits, but has, somewhat confusingly, all the same structural stuff, like geographical landmarks and buildings and cars and stuff, as the physical realm. Okay, then. Hang on tight. Or rather, let yourself go completely. I am someone who likes facts and evidence. For example, I believe that vaccines work because of the mountains of hard evidence showing that they work. Because of the millions of lives vaccines have saved and the general improvement of our quality of life as a species they have afforded. I also believe that acupuncture works despite Western medicine's general insistence that it doesn't. My proof? It has helped me. Also, in so helping me, it hasn't harmed anyone else. Like, my receiving acupuncture or not doesn't affect my community at large. My immunocompromised neighbor isn't going to suffer because of my stance on acupuncture. Unless I insist on using acupuncture in the place of, say, vaccines. That's enough for me. In other words, just because something can't be or hasn't been quantified or whatever doesn't mean it's junk. And just because I don't understand something doesn't mean it isn't valuable. Lord knows I understand very little. That said, generally speaking, when given the choice, I'm going to go with the one backed by science. But here's the thing about science. The bounds of it are expanding all the time. Every fact we know was unknown at some point. But as our understanding and equipment evolve, so too does our capacity to know more. 
So just because we don't understand how or why something works doesn't mean it doesn't or can't, or that we won't someday be able to understand how or why it works. Hell, there's an entire branch of study that's basically like, uh, probably. It's called metaphysics. And dudes, before you get your prayer beads in a knot, there's no need to well actually me on that one. It's a joke. Mostly. Out-of-body experiences are typically associated with illness or traumatic experiences. It's floating above your body on the surgery table in the ICU, or watching the paramedics working to revive your body on the side of the road after a car crash. Astral projection, on the other hand, is the intentional leaving of one's body or separating the astral body from the physical body with the purpose of traveling virtually anywhere one can imagine. According to self-described healer, workshop leader, and author Simon Heather, the astral body is an exact replica of the physical body, but composed of finer matter. We travel in the astral body in sleep and in out-of-body experiences. The astral body is the instrument of passions, emotions, and desires, and it's the medium through which these are conveyed to the physical body. The astral body is the seat of feeling and desire. The astral body reflects the emotional nature of a person. In other words, the astral body is what we usually think of as the soul. How Stuff Works quotes Robert Rubin, tarot card authority at Tarot and Reiki Training School Mysterium Philippines, who explained it this way, quote, Astral projection happens when the consciousness is sent to the astral form of this world, i.e. the astral representation of Katipunan, Manila, San Francisco, etc. It usually has many, if not most, similarities with its real-world counterparts, end quote. Once separated from the confines of the physical body, the astral body can then project itself anywhere in the astral form of this world, which means that the astral body is not visiting the physical location of wherever it has projected itself to, but rather to the astral form of the physical place. If you're confused as to how a place can have an astral form, join the club. I have no idea. I can wrap my mind around a soul that can exist separate from the body, but how your local Citibank branch or Mount Rushmore or the Taj Mahal has an astral projection goes beyond the capacity of my feeble brain, which at this point is like a wedge of rotting Swiss cheese. Does Swiss cheese have an astral projection? My devoted researcher, Jess, sent me these two quotes to try to help me understand the concept of places having an astral projection. From the entry on astral projection at encyclopedia.com, quote, The astral plane is the level beyond the physical, the realm of dreams, spirits, and psychic phenomena, the substance and vehicle for contact between the material and the mystical, end quote. And again from Simon Heather, this time quoting Sri Uteswar, Unlike the spatial three-dimensional physical world, cognized only by the five senses, the astral spheres are visible to the all-inclusive sixth sense intuition, end quote. To which I say, a valiant effort, Jess, but I'm still in the dark, buddy. The best way I can visualize it is basically just that it's another dimension, and even that is a tenuous connection. So let's just let it be and keep going, shall we, lest we all have an existential meltdown. I think Eleven in Stranger Things was able to project her astral self into a place with water for a floor where she could drop in in real time on anyone for whom she had a mental image. That's right, 
right? I mentioned in a recent episode that I watched the whole first season and had no idea what was going on. I have since revisited the first season and am slightly less unclear. Something about Christmas lights and a tall guy with a flower with teeth for a face? That said, Duffer Brothers, I am available to play Winona Ryder's long-lost little sister in season five. Anyway... Astral projection has gained popularity over the last couple years, which I'll get into, but the idea is ancient, with references in the Quran, Hindi scriptures, and in ancient Egyptian beliefs. The concept was introduced to Western culture by way of theosophy, the belief system made popular by none other than Helena or Madame Blavatsky, who we first discussed a few episodes ago when we traveled to the lost city of Atlantis. Blavatsky claimed to have learned the practice of astral projection while studying with Hindus and Buddhists. In 1947, Paramahansa Yogananda published his memoir, Autobiography of a Yogi, in which he claimed to have traveled the astral world through meditation. He wrote, The astral universe is hundreds of times larger than the material universe, with many astral planets teeming with astral beings. Which is particularly mind-blowing when you consider how big the physical universe already is and how it's physically impossible to travel to all of it. Why there would need to be an even bigger universe to travel through is beyond me. Some people live their whole lives without even leaving their own neighborhood. Yogananda goes on, The astral world is infinitely beautiful, clean, pure, and orderly. There are no dead planets or barren lands. The terrestrial blemishes, weeds, bacteria, insects, snakes are absent. Unlike the variable climates and seasons of the Earth, the astral planets maintain the even temperature of an eternal spring with occasional luminous white snow and rain of many colored lights. And this is where I pull the cord and ask the bus driver to let me off at the next stop. Look, I'm sure Yogananda was a great guy, and far be it from me to judge him based on a couple of quotes, but also, like, judging people on very little info is kind of my thing. Weeds, bacteria, insects, and snakes are terrestrial blemishes? Maybe I'm missing something, but this strikes me as an incredibly sapiocentric and narcissistic position. You don't like them, so they just have no place in the universe? I hate to break it to you, buddy, but humans literally wouldn't exist without bacteria. Insects and snakes are gross, sure, but I'm pretty sure they're also, like, relatively important to the ecosystem that holds up our dumbasses. Also, there are people who really dig insects and snakes, and winter, for that matter. How come they don't get to enjoy them in the astral plane? And I'll have you know, sir, that daisies are weeds. And then, in 1971, a radio broadcaster and producer named Robert Monroe published a memoir highlighting his experiences with astral projection. According to Monroe, his first out-of-body experience seemed to happen randomly and completely by accident in 1954. When he told his doctor about it, his doctor was like, Not today, Bob, and prescribed him tranquilizers. Could you imagine? You're like, Doc, something incredible happened to me. I experienced myself outside myself. And your doctor's like, nope, we're going to put the kibosh on that shit real quick. Sigh, Western medicine. 
Fortunately for Monroe, he had a more open-minded friend who told him that some yoga practitioners made a habit of intentionally leaving their bodies and suggested he try to harness the practice himself. He did try and succeeded, claiming to have traveled all over the place and done all kinds of shenanigans during his out-of-body experiences. In 1985, he founded the Monroe Institute, a nonprofit education and research organization devoted to exploring human consciousness. Through Monroe's experiences and research, he identified three locales that could be visited through an OBE or out of body experience. Locale one is just plain old Earth where you can go visit friends or maybe spy on an enemy. More on that later. Locale two is a region of demons. And according to Toby Howard, writing for Skeptic Magazine in 1994, Locale 3 is perhaps the strangest of all, described by Monroe as a kind of pseudo-Earth, which proved to be a physical matter world almost identical to our own. But things were just a bit different. There are no electrical devices whatsoever. The transport there includes a steam-driven locomotive that sounds like a cross between an American motorhome and a high-speed train, which hauls wooden cars. And automobiles twice as wide as their earthly equivalents, which drive along huge roads at a puzzlingly sluggish 15 to 20 miles per hour. Confused? Me too. Let's keep going. Monroe reportedly did lots of exploring through his out-of-body experiences, including, it seems, finding the astral projections of women to have sex with. Good on him. According to Vice reporter Tamlin McGee in a 2020 article, the phenomenon of astral projection gained some followers over the pandemic as people who were looking for ways to travel without leaving the safety of their COVID-free homes took up the practice. McGee highlights the Reddit thread Astral Army, which apparently grew over the pandemic. There, people swap stories about their astral trips as well as tips and tricks for successful out-of-body experiences. McGee writes, quote, Reddit's Astral Army is a focal point for the physically curious to embark on out-of-body missions to off-limits locations, including military bases, Wuhan, the Pentagon, and supposed hives of paranormal activity like Skinwalker Ranch, end quote. Skinwalker Ranch is not, as I first thought, a rival, albeit far less appetizing brand to Hidden Valley, but in fact a place in Utah where UFO sightings are de rigueur. McGee continues, quote, The idea is intriguing. If you could go anywhere at all, what secrets could you learn? End quote. Personally, a military base, the origin point of the plague during said plague, the fucking Pentagon, and Skinwalker Ranch may be the absolute last four places I would ever want to visit, either physically or astrally. And for me, I don't know what secrets everyone's trying to learn. Someone I follow on social media talks about the revolution that's coming through astral projection, but TBH, I'm too worried about the revolution that's coming IRL to be concerned about the one on the astral plane. And, like, isn't it enough to go visit the miraculous places in the universe you'll never actually be able to visit just for the sake of visiting them? The Mariana Trench, other galaxies, Jupiter's rings— Like, why do we need to learn secrets or fight in an astral revolution? Can't we just go somewhere for the sake of going somewhere or to, I don't know, visit someone you miss? One of the most famous stories of astral projection, I'm happy to report, is in fact about someone visiting someone they missed. 
According to writer and psychologist Susan Blackmore, who studies out-of-body experiences, in 1863, one Mr. Wilmot, out on a steamship journey across the Atlantic Ocean, dreamt of his wife who was back home in the U.S. In his dream, his wife visited him in his stateroom on the ship, dressed in her nightgown. Of course, a homesick husband out at sea dreaming of his wife is neither strange nor unexplained. What was both strange and unexplained was that Mr. Wilmot's bunkmate also saw Mr. Wilmot's wife visit him the night before in her nightgown. But then, when Mr. Wilmot got home a week or so later, Mrs. Wilmot, side note, neither Mr. nor Mrs. Wilmot are attributed with first names in any account of this story, Mrs. Wilmot eagerly asked him if he'd received a visit from her the previous Tuesday. According to Blackmore, Mrs. Wilmot had laid awake thinking of her husband and then felt as though some part of her crossed a wide and stormy sea to visit him in his cabin. Apparently, Mrs. Wilmot described features of the ship she couldn't have possibly known about unless she'd seen them for herself. There is a major problem with this story, though, not just in that it's a personal account that has no way of being verified, but also that according to an article for Skeptic Magazine from 2018, the original story wasn't even written by Mr. or Mrs. Wilmot, but by an acquaintance who claimed to have heard the story from the Wilmots years earlier. Hardly irrefutable. More scientifically sound, however, is the story of Mrs. Z. In the 1960s, Dr. Charles Tart began researching out-of-body experiences and astral projection at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology at the University of California at Davis. Coincidentally, I guess, in 1968, he learned that the woman who regularly babysat for his children, a woman he called Mrs. Z, had experienced floating out of her body regularly since she was a teenager. Dr. Tart devised a controlled experiment in which he would write five random digits on a slip of paper, carefully place the piece of paper on a high shelf in the test room where Mrs. Z would spend the night asleep. The paper with the numbers on it could only be seen from a height of about six and a half feet off the floor. He was extremely careful to be sure the numbers couldn't be seen any other way, not in a reflection in the wall clock, for example. Mrs. Z was then told to get a good night's sleep and try to have an out-of-body experience. She was asked that if she floated high enough during her experience, she should do her best to memorize the five numbers on the paper on the shelf. After three unsuccessful attempts, during which Mrs. Z did report leaving her body but could not control her movements in order to see the paper, on the fourth night, according to a paper Dr. Tart wrote in 1998 for the Journal of Near-Death Experiences, At 5.57 a.m., there was a seven-minute period of somewhat ambiguous EEG activity, sometimes looking like stage one, sometimes like brief wakings. Then... Miss Z awakened and called out over the intercom that the target number was 25132, which I wrote on the EEG recording. The odds against guessing a five-digit number by chance alone are 100,000 to one, so this was a remarkable event. Note also that Miss Z had apparently expected me to have propped the target number up against the wall behind the shelf, but she correctly reported that it was lying flat. As you can imagine, I was quite pleased with the outcome of this study, an unusual experience. The OBE was accompanied by an unusual EEG pattern, and there was strong evidence that Miss Z was correctly able to perceive the world from her out-of-body location. 
Mrs. Z apparently moved away after the study, and Dr. Tart claimed to have not been able to find her in order to continue studying her experiences. And, as he points out, finding people who can have out-of-body experiences at will aren't exactly a dime a dozen. Astral tourism is one thing, but of course, no story set in and around the mid-20th century would be complete without a red scare! In 1972, the National Enquirer ran a story with the sensational headline, Top Psychic Experts Fearing Anti-U.S. Espionage Warn, Reds Perfecting ESP for Spying. The article mostly quoted one Edward J. Pullman, credited as director of the Southwest Hypnosis Research Center in Dallas, Texas, who had apparently read a book by Sheila Ostrander and Lynn Schroeder called Psychic Discoveries Behind the Red Curtain, and it freaked him way the fuck out. Enough so, I guess, to alert the National Enquirer. Ostrander and Schroeder alleged that the Russians were spending roughly $21 million a year on psychic research, including research on out-of-body experiences. Apparently, what Pullman got from the book, according to what he screamed at the Enquirer, was this. Let us suppose that the Soviets wanted to send one of their diplomats to spy on a top-secret meeting in the Pentagon. The diplomat, who would have to be physically sensitive, would be hypnotized while seated in a chair in the Russian embassy in Washington. It it might be possible for him to do his out-of-body spying from very long, long, such as from Moscow. The hypnotist would give the diplomat the suggestion that his mind could travel through space and time to any part of the world within a few seconds. The diplomat would then be given a specific suggestion to attend the top-secret meeting in the Pentagon and to describe what he heard at it and relate information on any top-secret documents. Through astral projection, the Soviet diplomat would then attend the Pentagon meeting invisibly and unknown to the people at the conference. The information he gathered could be transmitted immediately through his Earth body, which remained in the Russian embassy. Or the diplomat could be taken out of the trance when the Pentagon meeting was over and could then relate the information. What his out-of-body spirit had seen and heard would be retained in his mind. There is no defense against such intrusion, at least none that we know of. But here's the thing. Edward J. Pullman was hardly a top psychic expert, whatever that's supposed to mean. He was a furniture salesman and novelty game designer who, incidentally, also made a cameo appearance at the Kennedy assassination hearings, having been a pal of Jack Ruby. I started down a who-was-Edward-J-Pullman rabbit hole that was pretty windy and convoluted and included mentions of MK Ultra, and then I remembered that we only have about 40 minutes here, strangers. At any rate, I do not think Edward J. Pullman was a top psychic expert. Regardless, Pullman speculated that the U.S. may have already been conducting research into astral spying, but a spokesman for the Department of Defense told the Inquirer they weren't conducting any ESP research of any kind. Then again, they weren't conducting experiments with mind control either, until they admitted they were. And, as it turned out, they were conducting research into astral projection and remote viewing. Oh, U.S. government, you sneaky little gaslighter, you. Just as the spokesman for the DOD was saying, nothing to see here, folks, the CIA was funding a project called Stargate. Alternately called Sunstreak, Grill Flame, Center Lane, Inscom, and Scanate. 
By one estimate, the CIA invested $25 million into the top-secret project. One Stargate experiment sent its subjects astrally into a secret underground military facility in order to see inside the facility and provide detailed maps and descriptions of it. According to a declassified report titled Astral Projection Caper, which also happens to be the name of the next Muppet movie installment, the subjects made a few successful visits to the facility through the astral plane. The second visit was reported in the Astral Projection Caper this way. Surprised at the number of government personnel working on a Sunday evening. Two military officers having a conference. They were Colonel R.J. Hamilton, Chief of Security, probably newly assigned, and MGEM George R. Nash. Nash was upset about a security leak and emphasized that it must be stopped. The name of the underground facility is Hayfork or Haystack. Other code words on papers and documents in the facility are Flytrap and Minerva. On the north wall of one room are a series of gray locked cabinets. Inside the cabinets are a number of folders marked with code words, including cue ball, 14 ball, four ball, eight ball, and rack up. On the outside of a cabinet is the word pool, M-G-E-N, George R. Nash. How did they know what was inside a locked cabinet? Did they astrally project themselves through the cabinet's keyhole? Did they also have x-ray vision? Also, is it just me, or were those code words maybe just the rules of the game pool? Maybe they overshot their mark and ended up in the stock room at the local pool hall? The experimenters supposedly sent someone to the facility to corroborate what the subjects claimed to have seen through astral projection. And while that person said there was astonishing similarity between the subject's report and the real thing, the subject who went in real life was given the subject's descriptions before checking for himself. That seems like faulty testing to me. Shouldn't the person sent to corroborate have gone in with no leading information? Do I have to do everything around here? Indeed, one expert consulted had this to say about the experiment's so-called findings. Psychologists such as myself who study subjective validation find nothing striking or surprising in the reported matching of reports against targets in the Stargate data. The overwhelming amount of data generated by the viewers is vague, general, and way off-target. The few apparent hits are just what we would expect if nothing other than reasonable guessing and subjective validation are operating. Project Stargate was canceled in 1995, having not found real evidence of remote viewing through astral projection. Of course, where there are Westerners messing with ancient practices from the East, claims of mysterious deaths are never too far behind. Because Lord knows if there's one thing Westerners do really well, it's fear things we don't fully understand. On June 29, 1975, the Detroit Free Press ran an article with the headline, Did a Trance Kill a Mystic? Ann Arbor Prober Baffled. On June 1st of that month, 29-year-old yoga instructor Robert Antoschik told some friends he was going into his room to attempt astral projection. Two days later, when he hadn't emerged from his room, his roommate went to check on him and found him lying on the floor in what was described in the article as a yoga position used for deep meditation. I guess they meant shavasana or corpse pose because Robert was dead. But, his roommate claimed, he had a serene smile on his face. The medical examiner could find no apparent cause of death. 
Robert was in perfect health. He was a vegetarian who neither drank, smoked, nor did drugs. He had exercised for years, either jogging, weightlifting, doing karate or yoga, as he'd gotten into a couple years before his death. A doctor who examined Robert's body said, quote, We simply could not find a reason why he died. It is kind of disconcerting that we could not even find an indication. Disconcerting? A perfectly healthy dude just dying for no reason is disconcerting? I think you misspelled completely existentially fucking terrifying. One pathologist who examined Robert suggested that he had slowed his heart rate down so much during his deep meditation that it, in fact, stopped. According to his own consultation with scientists from India, he believed people could intentionally change their heart rate through meditation and warned that this was a dangerous practice for someone who didn't know what they were doing. To this guy's credit, he was also careful to point out that there was no record of anyone ever having died from meditating too hard. Robert's friends were of the mind that he had succeeded in sending his soul out into the universe and either went too far that he couldn't return or just decided he liked where his soul was better than where he left his body and just peaced out. His mother, in the most remarkable example of peaceful acceptance I have ever heard of, simply said, All I can say is that when your time comes, you're going to go. God bless her. If it had been my son that possibly astrally projected himself to death, I would have started training myself to astral project immediately and gone searching for him to march his little astrally projected behind home this instant, young man. Despite the disconcerting fact that no cause of death could be found, a week after the first article came out, a second article published in the United Press International declared that Robert most likely died from a cocaine overdose. Needless to say, this came as quite a shock to his friends and family who maintained he never did drugs, not to mention, as anyone who has ever done cocaine will tell you, the absolute last thing you would ever do while high on cocaine is meditate. Not that I'm admitting to ever having done cocaine. I'm just saying I may have had a really bad summer in 2005, and I can tell you there was no meditating going on. You feel me? Also, it's not like Robert was found lying dead next to a plate of cocaine. And no one reported him acting particularly cocaine-y before going into his room to practice astral projection. So how a substantial amount of cocaine got into his system may be an even stranger thing than the possibility that he astrally projected himself to death. Back here on Earth in the present day, many scientists who study out-of-body experiences dismiss astral projection as a load of hooey. Writer and psychologist Susan Blackmore told How Stuff Works the concept of astral projection is, in her professional opinion, stupid. This is an unfortunate and surprisingly common position for a scientist to take. For a group so dedicated to uncovering the unknown, it's remarkable how often they dismiss things out of hand when it goes against what they already believe. That said, Blackmore does find the study of -of out-of-body experiences fascinating because of what they can tell us about how our brains work. She told How Stuff Works, quote, My advice is always to say what fun out-of-body experiences can be. Give up all those ideas of astral projection. Give up the idea that you're really going to be able to travel to see Granny or whatever it is and think, wow, I'm exploring my own mind and this is so interesting. What can I do with this? 
Generally, those who study out-of-body experiences believe that when the brain malfunctions for some reason, trauma, lack of oxygen, etc., one response it can have is to create a model of the outside world and the perception that it has separated itself from the body. And that fact alone is worthy of further study. Why would the brain do that? And what does it mean about the concept of our consciousness being separate from our brain? If our consciousness isn't in our command center, where the hell is it? We've asked this question on the podcast before, but are the mind and the brain one and the same? Maybe the study of -of out-of-body experiences will lead us closer to an answer than we've been before. Do I believe in astral projection? Honestly, I don't know. Who am I to say? The two times I tried to astrally project through guided meditation, I succeeded only in getting terrific naps. But something tells me that the practice takes a lot more than two attempts. Like I said, I believe in the healing benefits of acupuncture, and a lot of scientists out there scoff at it. I believe we Westerners, for the most part, are young and naive and obstinate, like toddlers. And we could all stand to gain, I think, from keeping an open mind and, at the very least, not dismissing things we don't understand out of hand. Who knows where we might go or what we might learn? In the meantime, I'm going to work on astrally projecting myself somewhere less confusing. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, we'll take a trip to jolly old England to try to figure out once and for all the mystery that is Stonehenge. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that's happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our audio editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Ryan Garcia, Luther Creek, and Lauren Hooper. Our social channels are run and managed by Amy Sapp. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. 